Support for Talking Heart on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at qcbt.com. Support also comes from the estate of Margaret Skinner, a longtime friend of WVIK and lover of the arts. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Philip Jason Lasker, an Emmy Award-nominated television producer and writer whose original play, Beginner's Luck, will premiere this weekend at the Bruner Theater on the Augustana College campus, and also with Philip McKinley, the executive artistic director of the Mississippi Bend Players. So welcome, PJ and Phil. Thank you. Good to be here. Good to see you. Great to have you here. So, so PJ, we'll start with you first. You, you've had a very productive career, co-producing the Golden Girls in the late 1980s and early 1990s, among other things. But you are writing a lot these days, including your upcoming play, which is premiering here. It doesn't seem like as much when it's stretched out over time. <laughs> we always feel as if we're not doing enough. But yeah, when, when you say it, I, I'm I'm exhausted. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you started off uh, in television, and we're going to talk about this. You've written some screenplays, but now you have uh, your play Beginner's Luck opening, and it's premiering here. This is this is your first play that has come to fruition at this point. That's actually been on stage. Yes. Yes. It began when Phil McKinley called me one day years ago and said, "Do you have?" a play for two actors. And I said no. And by the end of the phone call, I was writing a play for two actors. <laughs> Phil can talk you into damn near anything. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. That's a good thing to have, I would say, always. Um, how, how long did it take you to write this play? Probably about six weeks. Mm. But then you keep rewriting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I've always heard the process of editing takes longer than actually getting the first draft down. Yeah, it, whenever, uh, I, whenever I talk to a writer about coming onto a project, I always ask this one question, do you like to write or do you like to rewrite? Mm-hmm. Because you spend much more time rewriting than you actually do spend writing the police. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you the toughest part about rewriting, and in all forms that I've done it, is to keep your enthusiasm for the project. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why you need to work with good people because Phil will have an idea for a rewrite, but he gets it so that you become excited about it because if the minute your enthusiasm wanes, it's just not there anymore. Hmm. Can you describe the storyline behind Beginner's Luck for us? It's a play about a child actor who basically has now become an adult and finds himself out of work. Mm -hmm. And throughout the play, he basically has a conversation with himself. And it's the back and forth of him speaking as the adult to the child actor, and the two of them trying to find a way to have success again and find their way in life. Mm -hmm. Now, this, this, this was a previous child actor, so the adult um, Harold, I believe, is is in his twenties, mm-hmm. and it's a comedy. Actually, I've, yeah, I've heard that the, the conversations are quite hilarious, back and forth. They are because it, it, it's a lot of times it's just their stream of consciousness, mm-hmm. and they're and they're just talking to each other back and forth. So it's really and it's very fast. 
it's it's a very fast style of acting that they have to you know do in order to make this work. In the upcoming Augustana production this weekend, that the two alternate selves, Harold and Harry, are played by two real life brothers, and and that's just perfect. I mean, the only other way to to uh, to pull this off would would be to have a set of twins, which is probably almost right. impossible. But how perfect to have brothers, and and those are that's uh, Keenan and Tristan Odenkirk. Right. They're terrific, and it's amazing working with them because there are times when they drop in to being exactly what the character is, where they're having a conversation and you think it's the same person talking. (laughs) It's it's really delightful. They're very talented guys. That sounds perfect. They've probably been having those conversations their whole lives, and they've been pretty busy with other mm-hmm. productions too with your company, the Mississippi Bend Players. Right. They both were a part of Big River, and uh, Keenan actually was a gentleman caller in Glass Menagerie. Yeah. Well, that's that's awesome. PJ, was this was this play? I was just wondering when I was reading about it. Is this in any way autobiographical at all? Do you, do you see yourself in Harold? No, I'll tell you why I'm having trouble answering is because you you don't think so when you write it. <clears throat> but I, when I did a movie with uh, James Coburn, and he played an old writer, and there's a scene where he's talking to his wife, and I am watching, the director is sending me different cuts to watch. And it's on, and I'm seen it a million times, I wasn't paying close attention. And he's, this old writer discussing with his wife about life, and I say, thinking to myself, you know, I'd like to be like him someday. And then it dawns on me, I am him. (laughs) So you don't know, you think there's a real separation between yourself and, and the character. How much separation can there ever really be when it's coming out of the same paint box? Right. I don't think it's necessarily autobiographical because you weren't a child actor. No. But there's a great deal of him in the script. I mean, knowing PJ, there, there are some points in the script when I go, this is PJ. I've told the actors, this is PJ. When you meet him, this is PJ. And so I think... And that's what's kind of delightful about it. I think because I knew PJ for a while, I knew what the style of the acting was and what the the style should be in order to get his humor. So PJ, what what would you say is behind your impulse to write? I'll be truthful here. Uh, I'm not good at anything else. I'm really not. Mm, I'm not sure I believe no, that one. <laughs> I would st- I would still be trying to pass the bar exam. <laughs> There are things that, and I've always had a knack for writing. I've always enjoyed it. I'm lucky I'm one of the few writers that really just enjoys sitting there in a room with his dog and his cup of coffee and writing. Mm-hmm. And I've been very lucky. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds it sounds beautiful. I'm just I'm just wondering. It's such a personal project when you when you write when you create these these characters. Have you have you seen any of the rehearsals yet here at Augustana? Yes. And uh, did you see anything? I was wondering while you were watching it being performed. Did you see anything that you didn't realize when you were writing the screenplay? D- is it coming off different in any way than what you anticipated? There were things that are coming off better than I anticipated when I, when I wrote it. Uh, there are moments that are sadder 
then I remembered and thought as I wrote it. There are always surprises, or at least there should be. Sadder in terms of just this character, like expressing kind of remorse. It sounds like his he's bemoaning the the, the change in his career. There's some strain in his relationships with other people. And well, the, the idea of beginner's luck, and that's the reason for its title, is my belief that people who have beginner's luck are basically very unlucky because they get used to it. They get used to success coming to them and they can't handle handle it when it when it's gone mm-hmm. they can't handle losing a wonderful job they can't handle a, a wonderful woman walking out on them that's that's they can't handle having had a career and not having a career they don't have it's harder for them because they're not given the grit to say, okay, I have to continue. And I think that's what, in essence, the character is going through. Mm-hmm. I love the idea that you have these very serious, very heart-wrenching themes, but yet it is portrayed in, with, with a sense of humor. I mean, it's, it's still, you still somehow manage to pull it off as a comedy. That becomes the most fun part of writing, Dealing with something, but dealing it, dealing with it in a way that's unusual, and I think people, I think comedy is a great vessel for people to see things clearly. I think when people are having a good time and laughing, and seeing themselves, it's much, it's it's a much better way to show it for me. Yeah. No, I think I think that's I think that's great. You you it's it's a it's a little bit more enjoyable way to delve yourself into these deeper, sometimes darker themes. Yeah. Um, and how nice to tinge everything with a little little bit of humor. Um, I'm I'm just wondering, how did your relationship with with the director Philip McKinley? How did this begin, and how did we get so lucky to have your play premiere right here in the Quad Cities? I had worked with PJ uh, through on a, on a film script, and then um, I had worked with Val Kilmer, and Val wanted to do a stage play. So I called with, with Robert Downey Jr. So I called PJ, and I said, you know, do you have a play for two people? And he said, no. And I said, well, I'm trying to find something for Val Kilmer and Robert Downey. And so PJ came up with this great idea of writing this play, and it was really done for them. And then... Uh, through the chain of events that happens in our business, you know, we did a reading with Val, and then it was decided that they went off to do other projects, and so the piece just kind of stayed in the in the file cabinet for years. Then, when I started MBP last year, that's um, Mississippi ben Mississippi players. Ben Players, right at the Bruner Theater. Um, we developed a mission that what we wanted to do was do what we call the mock season, MOC, meaning we would do a musical every year, an original, and a classic. So when we decided on that mission, I said, well, I've got this play, which I think, you know, I think is really funny and will, and should be, a you know, has not ever been produced, has not been done. And so... Um, that was when I called PJ and said, look, what do you think if we do this in the summer? And he was on board with it and um, was able to come in to be with us to do it. So that that's how it kind of came about that we got the play. Um, because I've been very fortunate and had a career that I've met a lot of writers, 
there are I have about four or five plays and originals that you know over the years hopefully we'll be able to do. I also think it's really important to bring into the community here in the Quad Cities the opportunity to see originals, that um, we do have the opportunity to see really great theater here, to see musicals that have been produced on Broadway and you know classical plays like Streetcar Named Desire or Glass Menagerie, which we just did. But I, th- there is something different about being in the room and being the first audience and being the premier audience. Um, and I'm hoping they'll embrace that idea. Um, the, the thing, too, about this first weekend, PJ is going to be here on Friday and Saturday night, and he and I are going to do talkbacks <laughs> so that after the play is over, we'll actually have the audience stay, and they can ask PJ questions. They can have comments about the play. So that's a, a whole nother kind of involvement in, in producing an original work. You want to hear what's, that, what, what's the audience reaction mm-hmm. to it. And how great for us. I mean, it's such a unusual opportunity really for us to be able to speak with the playwright all uh, to have that interaction and and with yourself, the the art, artistic director. It's rather that. unsettling sometimes for the playwright <laughs> because you know all of us have to live in a world in theater where we're criticized. So when you when you have to sit in front of them and they're looking at you and and you know because it's important to get their reaction to say what they liked, what they didn't like, you know what they found interesting, you know that kind of thing. So. It's an interesting. You've never been through one, have you, PJ? No, actually, I'm no longer looking forward to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what happens when you come to a college campus, really. And I think that's uh, one reason why I think we have to embrace our colleges and universities here is because that dialogue is really essential. People have probing questions, and it's it's mm-hmm. really going to be fun yeah. to see see the students. They get really passionate about theater, right. so I think it's going to be really fun for you. I actually did it on Broadway during Spider-Man. And we would have groups of kids come in, you know, large groups. And the actors would come out, a group of actors would come out afterwards and speak to these kids. And it was amazing because you you want them to know the reality of what it's like. I mean, when those people were, when we were doing that show, um, they were spending 12 hours a day working on it. And during the day they were doing rewrites and then at night they were performing it. So it's, I think it's an interesting process for for a lot of the college students who are interns to have this opportunity to have a playwright in the room and see what that process yeah, is. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, Philip, you've you've thrown out some really big names, Spider Man yeah. and, and, and Val Kilmer, and <laughs> and so I think we probably should explain to the listener how we have you here in this community now. Now, you are an Augustana College alumnus, so I, I think that's probably what pulled you back. Is that correct? It is. I, I grew up about an hour and 15 minutes south of here in Avon, Illinois. I came to Augustana and graduated from Augie, went off and had this incredible career. And about in 2010, I moved back into the area and bought a home in Davenport and living here because my my job are such that I don't have to be in one place. I can always travel out to wherever I'm working. But I, I received an incredible opportunity when I was here as a student doing Pitchfork Players in the summer with Denny Hitchcock, who now runs Circa 21. And the experience I had during those summers of learning something about costume and lights, we had to work in every single department, were invaluable and really contributed to the success of my career. So... Um, when I came back here and I walked into the, the theater, which was Potter Hall, that was the exact theater I had been here when I graduated, you know, in the, in the 70s. And to his credit, the President Balls came to me and said, well, we're thinking about building, re- repurposing 
the Wilson building and and, and we want to raise money to build a theater. And I said, I would love to do that as long as we develop a summer season. And I said, I'll help you do it and I'll come on board for at least the first two or three summers to get it started. I, that's interesting because I didn't know they were linked together. Yeah. So you're talking about the development and the opening of the Bruner Theater right. linked to this summer mm-hmm. program called the the Mississippi Players. And this is your second season now. This is our second. And and so it came out of that. And because I wanted to and, – and what the purpose of the MVP is to give interns a real opportunity to have a professional environment. Um, and I've told them when I work with them, I work – no differently with them than I do with a Broadway company. It's the same thing because I want them to know this is what it's like. It's not an eight-hour-a-day job. You know, sometimes you're in the theater 12 hours a day, sometimes 15, sometimes you do overnights. And to know also because this this particular set of interns for the set we just built for for uh, Beginner's Luck, they all learned how to uh, weld. And I said, that's a skill that you can go out and use. And I said, I'd rather have you in a theater welding scenery than waiting on a table in a restaurant. At least you're still involved in, in theater. It also gives them opportunity to see, maybe I like stage managing. Maybe I want to do a lighting designer. Maybe I want to you know, design costumes. And, and even as a director, I, that experience helped me because now I know when I say to a costumer, I need you to, you know, take that hem up three inches. I know what I'm asking them to do and the work that it takes, or I need you to completely redesign that costume. It's not working for us. Um, so I, I tell my designers, I know just enough about what you do to make your lives miserable. <laughs> it's like, that's it. And uh, so I, I, that was the reason I wanted to come on and help, you know, raise the money to, to do the building. I thought... At the time, because my I still have a very active career. I thought it would take a couple of years to do it, and it took us six months. So it got kicked off immediately. And part of that was because of Kim and Donna Bruner, who actually gave us a major donation to get us started. But yeah. it's it's a great opportunity for the audience, you know, to come and see, you know, theater in the summer because we have a, we have wonderful groups in the community. We really do, uh, and we are. We are adamant about promoting theater with all of those groups, the Quad City Workshop, you know, the Genesius Guild, Music, music Guild. So we just hope to be another part of that, that theater community. Absolutely, and we're so glad you're here. Uh, it is really a kind of somewhat a fortuitous um, uh, in, encounter and chance that, that we have to, to see the two of you work together. Um, PJ, I kind of want to get back to just the the task of writing. Um, how, how would you say writing a play compares with writing a screenplay or writing for television? Because you started in television. I'm just I, curious how you transitioned between those different forms. Because at a certain point, I think it's good for a writer to do something that he doesn't feel comfortable doing. That that There has to be trap doors that he can fall through. When I, I wrote for Bob Hope for a few years, I knew how to write a joke. And what year was that, roughly? That Bob was Hope. When the, did Bob that Hope was in the 80, That was in the <laughs> 80s. Oh. That was in the 80s. He still had number one TV shows. Yeah. He was still going around the country doing all of, you know, giving his one-night shows. Uh, at a cer- and it was great fun. And he was wonderful to work for. Wonderful to work for. Uh, 
And one of the things that I learned from him uh, was he had great enthusiasm for his for what he did after all those years. And it was, you need enthusiasm to continue, to get better and not get worse. And I wrote jokes for a number of a few years, and then I realized I had to go on to something else. So I uh, co-developed a TV show with Danny Arnold, who had created Barney Miller, and we did a show called Joe Bash, and then I went on to Golden Girls. Then I decided, okay, I should do movies now. So I keep trying to do something that can turn into a fiasco any minute. <laughs> but it also pushes you it to does. continue you your own personal development, that. really. A writer should be on the edge. Yeah. Never be sure. If you know you can do something, you probably shouldn't bother doing it. Well, that's probably a good lesson for most of us in life. I would, I would say, your your first your first movie, your first feature length movie was, two thousand and one, uh, the Man from Elysian Fields. Yes. And what did you learn from that experience? Well, first of all, let me say I'm probably the only writer who's written for Bob Hope and Mick Jagger. Because <laughs> Mick Jagger, oddly, enough, well, surprisingly enough, start in this this. This film that you he wrote. Was, and he was wonderful in it. And he was as hard a working actor <laughs> as I've ever worked with. I would have to go into his uh, the, the dressing room before he went on, and we'd go over the script. And he had notes all over his script. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. You know, I think that, uh, you know, we don't think of musicians as, as performers, but they are, and they have to study for that. That that performance is, is really scripted as well, I'm sure, yes. when they're on stage. Yes, he knows exactly mm-hmm. what he's doing on stage. Mm-hmm. There's no, you know, let's wing it. None of that. <laughs> now, you also wrote the screenplay for an upcoming movie, The Man Who Saved Paris, for which filming is set to begin in October, right. and which features some really big-name actors, including Kristen Scott Thomas, who we recently saw in The Darkest Hour. Mm-hmm. And also with Stanley Tucci from The Hunger Games. So congratulations in advance on that. Thank you. Yeah. So if filming is set to begin in October, when would we expect to possibly see the film? I know that that there are so many unknowns that go into that. It would depend on when the best time for the release would be. I would guess it would probably be the following October that they would want to release it. Well, we'll keep our eyes out for that. And again, that's called The Man Who Saved Paris. How long did you work on that screenplay? All my life. (laughs) It feels like I was, uh, you know, the the cord was cut and I started working (laughs) on it. (laughs) It's never ending. Can you share any details about the film with us? Are you allowed to tell us a little bit about the storyline? Just that it it takes place in the 1940s during World War II. Uh, in France, uh, and the man who saved Paris runs a brothel. A brothel? Yes. <laughs> hey, a very respectable in France <laughs> in the 40s. <laughs> it was either that, better than a car salesman. Well, we know today it's the city of love, and it's beautiful, and it, all the architecture is preserved, so I, I'm guessing the answer is yes to that one. 
the, 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 the star demanded it. <laughs> no, but I, I think I think it's I think it's more than that. I think it's it should be funny and it should be romantic and it should be uh, touching if we all do our job correctly. Right. Well, I can't I can't wait to see that. How do you get a script to be read by someone first of all, and then for a studio take it on to take it on? How does that process work? Well, it depends. You can either be hired to write a script, which I don't like because people are in charge. Everybody's making decisions. I prefer to write a script, a screenplay, and then give it to my agent, and he will send it out, and people can either buy it or not buy it. But it's what I wanted to create. It's... It's a luxury, and I enjoy having that luxury of being able to work that way. I'm better working that way. I think it would be hard probably if you're that creative person coming up with this this idea to have other um, people modify it. So so your approach sounds great. You have to have an agent. I now I like if I'm working with good people like Phil, I want their input. I want it and I need it because it will make it better. They will see things that every writer, as every director, as every actor, we have our blind spots. And we need somebody around us that we trust to say, you know, you're not looking out uh, that mirror. There's an oncoming truck. (laughs) So I, I think that's important, but I like to be able to mold it, get what I want to get right at the beginning. Yeah. You were you were so young when you when you started writing for television. You know, again to just to back up for people, you started with Barney Miller in the early 1980s. You wrote for the Golden Girls and other television shows. How did that happen? How does that work? Because that's different. You're not obviously submitting a finished product through an agent. No, Barney Miller. The first the first uh, script I sold was for Barney Miller, and I sent it. I was writing a number of scripts for a number of shows at, and sending it, and I had no agent. And I wrote for Bo- a script for Barney Miller, and they were the only, they sent back a note saying, we cannot read it unless you sign a waiver to let us read it. But it was the only show that did that. Uh, so I signed the waiver, sent the script back to them. They read it, didn't like it, and sent it back. And I decided I'll just keep writing them. I'll just keep writing them to Bonnie Miller. One of us will die. <laughs> <laughs> but it worked because they obviously took it. <laughs> the next one, yeah. Were you living in California at the time? I was living in New York. Ah. And we were told, my wife and I were told, if you want a career in, in this business, you have to move to Hollywood, which we did. That was before there were all the emails and all the ability to send scripts. Well, there must be big differences between writing a play like Beginner's Luck um, compared with writing a screenplay or writing for television. So what was your experience like moving from one genre to the next? And was that fairly easy for you? You said before you, you, you did it because you wanted to push yourself. But did you have to actually teach yourself? Did you have to read scripts to know exactly how it's supposed to be formatted and outlined? I did, but I read scripts because I enjoyed it, and it helped learn the craft. So I wanted to read the scripts by Billy Wilder and Woody Allen and Preston Sturgis. 
the same way I read plays by uh, Kaufman and Hart and Eugene O'Neill. If this is something you're very serious about, you should know who came before you and you should know the best people that came before you. Uh, the writing itself, I think, the process is the same writing a joke as writing a play. It's you're getting an idea across, what's the best way of doing it? Now the landscape is different. A joke is short, you have to do it then. A movie, a scene will last three pages, four pages. More than that, producers don't like it. You can move on. A play, someone walks into a living room. You're in that living room. For the entire production, yeah. At least 15 pages. <laughs> so, so then the conversation is allowed to mushroom different than mm -hmm. it is in another. But you, the act of what you're doing and what you're saying, for me, remains exactly the same. Just expressing it in different yeah. formats. I'm, I'm thinking of like moving from a poem to a to a short story to a novella to a novel or yeah. something. You know, yeah. it, the format just just does does evolve and changes. But the writer's instinct has to remain the mm -hmm. same. Yeah. PJ, since your play is being performed on a college campus, what advice would you give to a young person who might be interested in a writing career? Well, it's the, the obvious to write, just to write a lot but to read a lot. And when I say read, I mean read the playwrights, read Eugene O'Neill, see the plays. This is a great time to be interested in films because screenplays are published. So people can go out and read the screenplays, but let it, let it be a part of you. You're not going to, if you're a good writer, you're not going to steal what Billy Wilder did but I promise you'll learn from what he did. Yeah. And that, that's, I think. And then you just keep doing it because you love it. You have to love what you do. Yeah. Well, that's really a, a beautiful message for all of us. So, Phil McKinley, you've had a lot of directing experience, uh, including you, you directed Hugh Jackman to a Tony Award in The Boy From Oz, and you directed Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark on Broadway, both of which are like really <laughs> incredible accomplishments. And uh, I also read that you directed West Side Story at the Salzburg Music Festival. How did you get to this point, and how do you become a director? I think I became a director because I don't think I was a very good actor, and I and I'm truly. And I and I felt that I enjoyed, I enjoyed being out in the audience and watching a play and watching actors, you know, uh, create characters and helping them create characters. But I think the way that I really became a director is because I just never said no. People would come to me and say, "What about directing the circus?" Well, okay, <laughs> give me a shot, you know. Um, well, how old I, were you <clears throat> when you first directed? Um, I started choreographing, and I was choreographing probably when I was only maybe 19 or 20, and choreographing in local areas here, and then moved into directing uh, children's theater first and doing what they call TYI, which are theater for young audiences, and um, and then eventually I, I started assisting, assistant directing, you know, directors and learning from them. Um, when I, I moved to Vegas in the um, early 70s, 
And there is where I, I was hired to do a show at the Stardust, and Don Arden was the director. And I was young enough and stupid enough and naive enough that I just went up to him one day and I said, can I sit beside you and watch you do what you do? Because <laughs> this must have been right after you graduated from Augustana. Right, right. It was a year and a half after because I taught school for a year and a half. Hmm. And then a teacher dared me to audition for the show, and I did, and I got it. And um, working next to Don, because Don at that time was like the Busby Berkeley of, of you know, spectacle. And I worked with Don and then and learned spectacle, learned how to move, you know, a lot of people around a stage, uh, which actually deals with a lot of math. It actually incorporates mathematics. Um, and then from there, I was asked to start an original, uh, start a um, professional theater in Las Vegas, which I did for, you know, several years and was a dean of a college for a short period and then uh, moved to New York. And in New York, was an actor, started as an actor. and You know, you've had about a thousand careers. It, it is interesting. <laughs> I have. I mean, I, I've even been a mermaid in an underwater show for Wayne Newton. So, you know, that's another story. Um, and, and I think it really was because I was just always adventurous. I, I, um, I worked for Paper Mill Playhouse. Uh, for eight years, which was amazing. I, developing new works, that's where I learned how to work on new musicals and new plays. I, we did 36 new musicals in five years, and that was an incredible learning experience. Uh, and then I got the opportunity to assist George Abbott. Uh, and Mr. Abbott was kind of the, one of the fathers of American theater. He um, was 100 years old at the time that I was working with him. And I asked him one day, I said, Mr. Abbott, what, how do you continue to do it? How can you be 100 years old and continue? And, you know, PJ mentioned that um, be enthusiastic. Mr. Abbott said two things. He said, number one, if I direct a show more than once, I never do it the same way. I'll always find another way to approach it. And number two, which really stuck with me, he said, I always do things that scare the hell out of me. And that is what really propelled me into doing the circus, propelled me into going over and doing the opera with two major stars of the opera world. I mean, Cecilia has been named one of the top, uh, is one of the top important uh, singers in the world, living or dead. And she was number five on the list. So that's an amazing accomplishment. So, and then I worked in Vegas and I've gone back to Vegas. And the way that happened, um, I got a call uh, to go into um, work on La Rev, the show La Rev at the Wynn Hotel. And um, I went out there, I saw the show, and, and that didn't work out. It just, they decided not to do the re, the re uh, uh, work on it. And that was probably mm, 10 years or more. About four years after that, the um, president of, or the vice president of entertainment called me. He said, I have a question for you, Phil. And I said, What? He said, would you be interested in doing a birthday party? And I went, well, this is after I'd done Boy From Oz on Broadway. And I went, well, tell me a little bit more. He said, Mr. Wynn was throwing a birthday party for his wife. And he said, um, "We're." I said, well, well, why not? I said, sure, I'll tell me, you know, what it's going to be. Well, it ended up being one evening and costing four and a half million dollars. So it That's was, outrageous. Yeah, it was. We built two theaters, and it was, you know, a, a whole showroom. Was We took a convention hall and made an old Vegas showroom. And Hugh Jackman, we called Hugh, and Hugh came and performed in it. We had 36 singers and dancers. It was a huge, huge. Out of that, though, is at one point, Mr. Wynn came to me, and he said, do you think we could make this a real show? 
and we could, you know, put on. I said, well, I don't know, but if you do, I'm in. And that became Showstoppers, and we opened a show and ran for two years. Wow. Uh, that then led to me taking over La Rev and redoing La Rev. So you just never know. But the common you know. thread is that you always said yes to the I challenge. Yes. Yeah. I, and, I, and I said yes if it was something that made me nervous. And, and I think, you know, along with enthusiasm is curiosity. You have to remain curious, curious mm-hmm. about what you're doing. It's why, it's why I, people say, why are you going back to this little theater in the Midwest? You know, I have, I have two Broadway shows that are in the works now. I'm working on a show in China. Um, you know, and they go, well, I can do that. I said, because it's important for me to go back and see that youth and that enthusiasm and that curiosity. That feeds me just as much as all the things, you know, the big projects I do. Um, I just did a one-woman show. Uh, that's at the Edinburgh Festival uh, about Wallace Simpson. So, just don't say no. You yeah. never know what's going to come from it. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great lesson, and it's always easy to do what's safe and what's comfortable. Yeah. But we really grow, and we're our best person when we stretch our, ourselves Absolutely. a little bit and and take the risk and I, kind of take that plunge. I completely agree. Yeah. yeah. So PJ Lasker and Philip William McKinley. Uh, it was delightful talking with both of you today, and congratulations on the upcoming premiere of your play, Beginner's Luck. Thank you very much. It was fun being here. Thank you. Thank you, Carolyn. You're welcome. We're certainly grateful and excited that its first ever performance will be he- right here in the Quad Cities. Beginner's Luck will be performed at the Augustana College campus's Bruner Theater this weekend, Friday, August 3rd, and Saturday, August 4th at 7.30 p.m., and also on Sunday, August 5th at 2 p.m., directly after this weekend's performances on both Friday and Saturday nights, a talkback session will be held with the playwright, P.J. Lasker, and with director Philip McKinley, as well as members of the show's cast and crew. And this is a rare opportunity to be able to ask questions directly to a playwright. So please come. The play will also be performed the following weekend, August 10th through 12th, with a show after the show performance, after the Friday and Saturday night performances on that weekend. Tickets can be purchased online at mississippibendplayers.com or at the Bruner Theater box office. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities for WVIK. Our theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cal. 